It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome in to the Bengals post-game podcast. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports commerce and editor with Rick Broering. As always, it's presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. We just did a regular podcast that feels like three minutes ago, but it was actually about a day or so ago, to preview the Bengals game in part with the Dolphins. And now we'll recap the Bengals' 27-15 win over Miami that, that saw the defense come up big once again the running game stuck in neutral each of the big three wide receivers come up with big plays and of course the uh, the injury to a tongue Iloa, which um, he apparently is going to fly or was going to fly home with the team uh, did have feeling in all his extremities um, it was a scary scene there's no question about that but uh, uh, we've seen guys get hurt before and the good news is he gets to fly home with his team and, and hopefully all is well with him but uh, there's still a lot to unpack uh, in addition to the to, to the Tua injury in that game yeah, we'll hit on all of those things as we go on here, Skinny. I felt like overall takeaway, I wasn't exactly sure how to feel after that game. It felt like such a big game going in and a game like, oh, if they pull this one out, you're going to feel much better about where things are headed. And to some extent, it's an important win, and it definitely makes you feel better about their chances for the season. But I think there's also still some major concerns and an overall feeling of wanting more from this group. They had a 73-3 lead early after the first quarter. It was 14 to 12 Bengals at halftime. Then they entered the fourth quarter trailing 15 to 14, but managed to score the final 13 points of the game to win it. And as you mentioned, the defense came up huge. Let's start though on the other side of the ball with Joe Burrow, the offense, and particularly the offensive line. Burrow was 20 of 31. He threw for 287 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. I thought he looked sharp. He was getting the ball out quick. And I wanted to ask you, Skinny, how much of that was this offensive line making him feel more comfortable and Joe finding rhythm within the offense versus how much was this the Dolphins showing him a lot more of the defensive looks he likes to see, which is cover one or cover zero even uh, instead of that Tampa two that we've been seeing a lot of. Yeah, and they didn't go really cover zero a lot. They went on cover zero a lot on, on T. Higgins a lot of times, but they were trying to double Tyler Boyd with a, with a corner and a linebacker and did a pretty good job of that. He, he had no receptions in the first half. They, they tried to bracket Jamar Chase. They had a good plan, and I think they were challenging the Bengals at that point to run the football, which we'll get to, and they couldn't do it. Um, and I, I thought Joe did a great job. I think that it showed, obviously, his ability to spread the ball around and the ability of each of the receivers, including actually two tight ends, to, to make big catches. I mean, they didn't exactly drive the ball great all night. They just made big plays. You know, T. Higgins, the 59-yard touchdown. Um, Boyd, the 43-yard catch that took it to, to a – uh, first and goal that actually uh, they couldn't punch it in and kick the field goal that gave them the the, the lead for good at 15 to 14 there in the, in the fourth quarter um, or 17 to 15 rather in the fourth quarter uh, you know Hayden Hurst uh, and then Jamar Chase kind of the, the clincher the 36 yard pass um, where, where Zach got a little aggressive with a little over three minutes to go and that set up the the third and goal touchdown pass to Hayden Hurst who had a big catch earlier in the game a 19 yard catch and run Mitchell Wilcox had an 18 yard catch and run um, you know I, I I thought it showed not the dynamic part, I guess, of this offense. Um, I, no, I guess it showed the dynamic part. It, you know, they, they weren't consistent with it. They didn't put drives together, but they hit so many big plays that Higgins was a touchdown. Chase has led to a touchdown. Boyd's led to a field goal and should have led to a touchdown. I mean, that's three different guys, and and I think they 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 did a good job to 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 spread it around. That's what Joe Burrow's best at, in my opinion. Yeah, in those first two weeks, they were lacking those big plays so much. And then all of a sudden, last week, you saw it ramp up a little bit. This week, you see five plays go for over 20-plus yards. Uh, and a couple of those bigger ones, like you mentioned, T. Higgins was outstanding in this one. So it was great to see that. But part of what left me conflicted about this game is that 
The offensive line legitimately seemed to make some strides in the passing game, and Burrow was effusive with his praise for those guys after the game, saying they were fantastic. But they were so horrendous in the running game again. Joe Mixon had 24 carries, 61 yards. He had the touchdown that you mentioned, but only an average of two and a half yards per carry. He was stuffed multiple times at the goal line. There is no doubt that the offensive line plays a major role in this, and he's getting hit behind the line of scrimmage too often. But I have to ask you, Skinny, is this just maybe our eyes trying to find something that's not there because of the struggles in the running game? Or is there something off with Joe Mixon? He just seems to lack juice, for lack of a better term, I guess. Yeah, he does look off. I I, I won't deny that. Um, I, I think there's a little bit of truth to that. But then I, I do wonder, again, Frank Pollock likes the, the, the wide zone running scheme that seems to fit Joe Mixon. Um you know, he ran for a thousand yards under under Frank Pollock in in that system. You know, they did a couple tonight. It looked like pin and pulls, and it, they did a couple of power runs as well. And I thought those were kind of effective. They weren't effective for big chunks, but they were effective to at least move the ball forward. You know, maybe you do get to the point honestly here. Maybe this is the point because you have the mini buy. You have some extra days to do it. If you're run and Frank Pollock's not just the offensive line coach. Let's not forget he's also the run game coordinator. You know, maybe he and Zach and Brian Callahan, after, uh, you know, a couple of days of decompress, get back to it and tear up the run game and start from scratch and just say, listen, the wide zone for this group, for whatever reason, doesn't work. Let's go to more pin and pull. Let's go to more power. Um, You know, you've got to try something different because right now in the wide zone scheme, they're not blocking it and he's not running it. That's and, some exactly. it, and some of it is him. Don't don't get me wrong. He, he doesn't look like he's got that extra. There were a couple of times tonight where he, he actually got, if you remember, I think it was the fourth quarter, Rick, he kind of wound one back to the left, had it look like to me at least a 10-yard run ahead of him, maybe a big run, and he gets tripped up from behind for about a two-yard run or a three-yard run. I thought, that's not the Joe Mixon I know. Yeah, even sometimes just the short-yarded situations, too, where there's not really a hole there, but you'd see it on the reverse side where the Dolphins had a short-yarded situation. One of their running backs would kind of just throw their bodies in there, even backwards or whatever, just kind of fling your body forward to get that extra yard, half a yard to make sure you get to the sticks. And it's like Joe Mixon in those situations just seems to kind of slowly bump into a a crowd of bodies and and fall down or get stuffed and stood up. So I don't know what it is, but he just seems to lack that extra pop that he's had in the past. I don't know if it, if it's possibly he's a little nicked up or something, or if mentally he just, he's getting hit in the backfield so often that he's maybe running a little hesitant. Yeah. And, and I'll go back to, you know, I, I mentioned they, they didn't drive it great. You know, they, they scored 27 points and that's still a good number in this league. Um, they hit a bunch of big plays and, and that certainly helped, but you know, if you can't run it, you're probably not going to drive it. And then you have to, you have to really be relying on big plays and they came in nice chunks tonight Go back to some of those Tampa two things. Maybe those don't come in big chunks. And if you don't run the ball, those are teams that are probably going to get back to beating you once again. So they, they've got to do something. And if it's back to the drawing board, and I know we had for a while there, small sample size, right? You know, they're going to fix it. We're going to find some runs we like. They're going to gel. Well, now we're a quarter into this system. And, you know, after a quarter, I, I think it's time to make some adjustments. And, and hopefully they're, they're um, smart enough to look at that and go, all right, we like these two runs. We don't like these eight because they haven't worked no matter how we've called them. Um, let, let's let's go do something different. And again, like I said, maybe it is more power game. Maybe it is more pin and pull. Um, you know, maybe there, there's a wide zone scheme play every once in a while, but you're not completely relying on it because however you want to slice it, and I don't care who you want to put the point the finger at, um, the offensive line is a collective group, individual guys on the line um, to Joe Mixon. It doesn't matter. Whoever you want to point at, it's not working for any of them. 
No, I think that's a really good point, Skinny, is that at this point, we're far enough into this, and there's been zero improvement in that regard. And you've seen some really good defenses, but now you've also seen some ones that eh, you should be able to run the ball on. This team was averaging five yards, <coughs> giving up 5.0 yards per rush in the first three games. I, yeah, okay, small sample size, blah, blah, blah. That's still a pretty good chunk. And, and I know some of that was Lamar running like a crazy man in week two. But still, you should have run. You averaged 2.2 yards per game rushing tonight. Joe Mixon carried it 24 times. You know, he only had one negative rush, Rick, which is crazy to think of, right? He only had one negative rush, which would think you'd think, okay, so that take that out. And the other 23 runs, he probably ran for nine. His longest run otherwise was seven yards. There was a lot of ones and twos mixed in there. You're, you're not getting push A, and you're not creating gaps B. And a couple of times you did, there was one where Joe, or I think it was the first quarter, might have been the first drive, he sliced one off right tackle. And I thought there was a crease there, and all of a sudden, down he goes after two yards. And I, I, you know, is that on him? I think maybe it is, too. I think that's where it started to stand out in this game, is that he's getting hit in the backfield some, but it's not like it's been in the first couple games where he's got no room to run. This is a game where he was getting back to the line of scrimmage a little bit more, and, and he had a little bit more room and time to get going and still just wasn't able to to get anything there. And, you know, you talk about this game and the, their their run defense, but last week against the Jets, too, that's right. not a good run defense that you were playing against. And well, and the, first two, and the first two teams played Tampa 2, cover 2, which you're supposed to be able to run against because it's a light box. Right, true. Uh, but much better defense, obviously, and better fronts that you're facing. But, yeah, right. the, the scheme that they're playing, you should be able to run the ball effectively against. And, in fact, they're sometimes daring you to run the ball with, with very light boxes. So, that's clearly a problem. I mean, I, and I'm, I'm with you that at this point, we're far enough into this thing that there needs to just be change for the sake of change. Like you, you got to do something differently. You can't just keep running the same thing over and over again and seeing it not work. I mean, he's carried it 82 times on the year for 224. That's that's a 2.8 a pop. I'm, I, now we're at a sample size of 82 carries. That's a lot of totes to be still sit, stuck under three per, per carry. Yeah, and you know the next gen stats are what they are. I don't know how much I buy into the you know the stats that uh, compare what an average running back would have done right. given and the same blocking situations. He's but, very low. Yeah, the, these next gen stats are not very kind to him. And no, they're I, not. I don't know how good they are, but I do know that they're applied pretty evenly across the board, and he's at the bottom. Yeah, so, and I'm, one, I'm I'm kind of one of those ones with stuff like that and PFF grades and all that. I take it with a grain of salt, but occasionally it does back up what your eyeballs are watching, right? It gives you yeah. some level. It may not be completely 1,000% accurate, but at least gets you in the ballpark of, okay, that's kind of what we're all seeing. Yeah, and I, I think I, I use it more as like kind of a grouping tool than a, let me compare this guy to this guy on right. the exact percentage points or 0.4 right. PFF grade versus 0.2 PFF grade, whatever. It's more for me of like, okay, if you're in the bottom third of the NFL in this, does that match up with what we're seeing? And, and in this case with Joe Mixon, it certainly does. I, I, he just hasn't been very good, and and a lot of that has to do with the offensive line. But I think we're to the point now where you have to start asking some questions about him as well. And skinny, I mean, in terms of the offensive stagnation, there were some frustrating periods through that middle part of the game, specifically yeah. in the third quarter where they don't score at all. It, is it just the running game, or are we still just kind of in the, the same place we've been really going back to last year with some of the play calling stuff, or is there some point where we just have to say, you know what, this is who they are. It got them to a Super Bowl last year. They're going to keep doing it. It works enough for them. And it is what it is at this point. No, I think the running game is a big part of that. I mean, I think you, you, you don't, you don't need to put all the stress on Joe Burr to drop back a ton of times. Um, you, you know, 
he checks it down some, and you can argue that's part of a run game too, but the checkdowns were even covered tonight. I mean, there was one where they, he checked it down to, to mix it, and there were three defenders around him. So it was almost like they dared him to check it down, knowing he was going to check it down, and they were ready to stop it. Um, yeah, I, I the play calling is, is on certain things is 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 iffy and alarming. And, and can we get can we get head. rid of the sweep toss on yes, fourth and yeah. one? Are we good uh, yeah, with that, that? that? That's one for me. There's there's no question. Yeah. But I, I the the thing I always come back to, and I, I did it a lot last year with what is your identity? And I, I know you're going to get the answer of well, it's different for every team. No, you you do what you do, what you think you do best. And I I've said it for a long time, and I say it. It worked tonight, some of the play action stuff, but the less you run it effectively, the less play action is going to be taken taken very seriously. I mean, are you a five, uh, you know, a spread five wide team? Are you consistently under center? I know Joe doesn't like under center, but it makes the play action game and it makes you less predictable. You remember the great stat in week one was, you know, when they were under center, it was a run. When they were in the shotgun, it was a pass. And, and so I think they're trying to get away from that predictability of it. But what is your doggone identity? And I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, well, I mean, in the past, you've always said it needs to be running the football, but at this point, you can't reasonably say that because they can't run the football at all. So well, you can't again, unless you go back to the drawing board and say, okay, let's try this, and I'll give this whatever this is a few more weeks on, on top of it. But I need to know something's done differently other yeah. than saying, hey, on every running play, it's one guy doing something wrong on that play, and this guy doing something. Well, I'm 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 past that. I'm sorry, well, I'm past that part of the program. I think that's the thing, Skinny. Is you have to try something new to get your running game going. But there's no way in hell you can call this team's identity the running game right now. I mean, that's oh, just right. not a reasonable thing to say. Their identity is Joe Burrow. And, and, that's, and that's the point. And maybe maybe I should just stop fighting this and go, you know what? Drop the kid back 40 times. He's going to get smacked around and you're just going to have to roll the dice and hold your breath. Well, I don't know if that's the case, but I just don't. I'm just to the point where you can't say we're going to rely on this being our identity when it's not even close to working. Does that mean you know what I mean? I mean, your your clearly best chance of winning right now is letting Joe Burrow make decisions like even on that first drive of the game. They weren't taking big shots downfield necessarily. No, right. He was making good reads, getting the ball out quick, and taking the easy play against their defense. And it just happened to be that they were dropping back and not wasting first and second down on runs up the middle that went for a yard or two and, and then waiting a third down for him to give him a chance. Yeah, I mean, there, there just has to be a fix to it. And that to me, is, that's why you get stagnant is you, you are trying to run the ball. And so let's just say, hey, all right, this drive, let's start off with a good run, the best run we've got, and it goes for zero. Now you're second and 10. And if a second and 10 is a check down for two, now you're third and eight or you're second and 10 and you throw incomplete, which Joe Burrow is a human being who can occasionally throw incomplete, then you're third and 10. And I think that's when drives get stagnant. And I think you saw that in, in those times. And then again, they got bailed out by, I shouldn't say bailed out because that's not, that's not fair. They, they, they were able to move it when they hit big plays. I mean, again, you point to literally almost every drive in that game that ended in points. There was some big, one big pass play, at least on every one of those drives. Yep, definitely. Uh, over on the other side of the football, we were worried about what would the defense look like without DJ Reader in the middle of the st stuff the run. And, you know, I mean, the Dolphins ran 22 times for 85 yards, which was an average of 3.9 per carry. But they also had a long in there of 25 that gave a boost to those numbers. It wasn't like they were chewing up four yards of pop all game. I thought the defense really was pretty fantastic. Yeah. In this one. Well, and take away a Teddy Bridgewater 11 yard scramble. So take those two out True. for 36. They go 20 for 49 on their or for 49 yards on their other 20 carries. That's 2.5 a pop. That's pretty darn good. And I think the the bigger stat there is 
Dolphins were just two for 10 on third down conversions right. and 0 for one on fourth down. You got off the field when you needed to. And again, I mean, there were some situations in this game where you're looking at that defense without DJ reader and it's kind of short yardage and you're thinking, okay, how's this going to go? And in most of those situations, they were able to step up and make the play. Yeah. And, and who gets, who gets the, the first sack of the night and it's Josh Tupo. And unfortunately is the one that Tua got hurt on, but you know, that's one thing that DJ reader isn't great at of, of putting consistent pressure on the quarterback. And he's not asked to, I mean, he's asked to, to, to do what he does and he does it great. He, he stops the run game. Um, but you know, I, I thought the defense was great. They made big plays when they had to Logan Wilson on that third and one. How big was that play? I mean, he stuffs him on third and one where he comes clean, makes the tackle a yard for a yard loss. They have to punt. Von Bell with the two interceptions, the early one, you know, on the deep ball down the middle that Tua, Tua hung, and then uh, the one at the end of the game that Teddy Bridgewater makes a bad throw on, but Von makes a great diving interception on that play. And, hey, listen, Von has been in this league for a while. Do you know how many interceptions he had in his career coming in? Two, I believe. Two, that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Not, it's not like he's a consistent – because he's really been kind of more of a strong safety, run-stopping uh, safety for the most part. But, um, you know, you think about – uh, you know, he makes the big play in Kansas City last year in the championship, game, getting the tip that Jesse Bates picks off. So um, I, I thought this defense was good. This was their first test. I, you can argue, yes, it wasn't as test as it could have been because Tua got hurt. Um, but, you know, Tua wasn't exactly setting the world on fire when he was in there either. Well, it just feels too like you're starting to see a lot of last year's team in this group again. You, winning despite having those frustrating periods of stagnation on offense finding big plays on occasion to, to get them going and find those points, winning the turnover battle all of a sudden the last few games, uh, bad offensive line play, but still finding a way. And and then just being opportunistic, the, the interceptions like you talked about, which is kind of a, a weird thing for a guy like Von Bell, who's not known for getting his hands on the ball and getting interceptions, gets two in a, a primetime game like this against one of the hottest teams in the NFL. That's That feels a lot like what last year's group was like. and. Yeah. Uh, to some extent, you, you kind of just, you know, you, you look at the first two games, it's like, all right, that's not good. And there are a lot of concerns and there are still some of those concerns, but there were a lot of concerns last year, the whole time they were making their run to the Super Bowl and they kept finding ways to win. It's like, you know, maybe this group just does have something about it and the culture that this coaching staff has put together. I think Zach said something after the game of, to the effect of like, we've got guys who like these big primetime night games. It's like, what a turnaround right. from four years ago when we were sitting here with Marvin asking him question after question about, are you worried about another primetime game with these guys? Are they going to choke again? Yeah, no, I, I think this group does revel in those moments. And I think when you make a Super Bowl run, um, you've been in some big moments and you've got some guys that, that have come from other places that have been in big moments and big games and been in playoff games. And, and I think that matters. And, you know, I, I don't want to just say, you know, the college situation, but you got your star quarterback and star wide receiver that, that were in some big moments in college and some other guys on that team that were in some big moments in college too. So I think that that is an MO of this team. And um, listen, man, I, right or wrong, NFL football is hard. That's why I know it gets frustrating for fans. And I think they're thinking this offense should be putting up 40 points. You, you will on occasion because you're just that good, but it's just, it's hard in this league. And especially when you get to a one dimensional portion of the program, it becomes really hard, which is kind of what they are. But, you know, this, this team is literally a, a, an injured long snapper away from three and one and arguably one defensive play let down at the end of the Dallas game for maybe going to overtime and being four and oh, and they don't feel four and oh by any stretch of the imagination. But 
um, this team still is a it's, it's a good team with good players, and they're starting to get some things right at least. And one yeah. of the things that's been right all year has been the defensive side of it. That, that's well said. I, that's that's the conflicting thoughts I keep having about this team, right? Is you can look at the struggles they've had and also look at it from the standpoint of, yeah, all these struggles, but they very well could be 4-0, maybe even should be 4-0 right now, with, despite all of those things. You would think they're going to continue to improve, especially with the offensive line and, and hopefully the run game. There's a lot of upside still. Part of the concern with this team, though, is the relatively easy run that they've had in terms of competition. You get right. Mitch right. Trubisky, you get Cooper Rush because of an injury, you get Joe Flacco, and now you get Teddy Bridgewater for over half the game because of an injury to Tua. And like you said, Tua wasn't tearing it up before him necessarily, but it's still another backup quarterback. So, you know, catching there's a, there's also the fact that you caught Miami in an ideal spot with the short sure. turnaround no after question. a bunch of plays in the sun. No we talked about that leading up to the game. So. It just doesn't feel great at times to be two and two after that and not playing all that well. But at the same time, like you mentioned, you you can't be anything but pleased with the win over the hottest team in the league and the fact that you you very well could your season could be over at this point had things gone slightly differently. And instead you're two and two with some momentum. So it, it could definitely be worse. And room to grow. Right. Def, definitely upside with this group. Uh, Skitty, let's talk about the the big topic from this game that everyone's going to be talking about from a national perspective. Miami quarterback Tua Tungavailoa was taken off the field on a stretcher with 5.50 left in the first half after being sacked by Bengals defensive tackle Josh Tupo. Tupo threw him on his back and kind of his head as he went down, and you could see his hands posturing and all that stuff. It wasn't. It was. It was a pretty ugly scene. Uh, the the big conversation is about how much responsibility the the Dolphins have in playing him in this game after he had what looked to be potentially a head injury last game. We got thrown on his back, got up, stumbled, and then uh, was right back playing this week. So I guess where do you come out on that? How big of a deal do you think this is? And who's at fault here? Yeah, I I will think that that at some point here, somebody's going to have to answer some questions of um, how hurt was he going into this game? How close to a concussion maybe was he? Um, you know, we, all we know for right now was head and neck injuries, uh, or neck and back injuries, rather. Um, did he suffer a concussion off of this? And, and, you know, maybe it wasn't a full concussion last week and he was able to clear the protocol, but, you know, if it was borderline concussion and now he's concussed again, that gets scary if that happens in such a, we're, we're not talking about a three week, we're talking about a, within a four day span of each other. And if it was the back, okay, I'll take you maybe at the word that it was the back, you know, then he lands hard on the back. I mean, how bad was the back? Um, he was able to obviously play through it. But I'll be honest with you. I mean, Josh Tubo A wasn't flagged on the play. Um, it didn't look overly egregiously rough. You've seen plenty of quarterbacks who get grabbed and slung to the ground, right? I mean, it didn't look like he, he didn't get picked up and dropped. He just the, got the replay. It was shocking on the replay how little like head and neck snap that you saw. I thought it was going to be way worse because of, right. you saw the, the hands go stiff and all that. Um, but yeah, the replay, it sort of seemed like his butt hit first and he kind of rolled to his head, not, not snapped back. Like last week's looked way worse to be quite honest on the replay where you see sort of the top of his back hit and then his neck snaps back and the back of his head smacks. And then of course he stumbles, which, you know, I think with what we know about head injuries at this point, when you see someone's head hit like that, I think we know that's not good for it. Whether you want to term it an official concussion or however that works, I'm not a doctor, I don't know. But based on everything we've been told, your head can't smack the ground like that or stop and change directions like that quickly without there being some bouncing around and some things that shouldn't be happening to your brain and and what's going on in there. So 
that wasn't good for him. For him to be back this quickly playing in a game and, and taking that chance again, if for no other reason, is problematic because of what happened tonight. If he takes one more hit, then everybody's going to be asking these questions and pointing fingers. And rightfully so. so. I mean, yeah. that's the now. Now, for those, there is. I mean, the per. <laughs> excuse me, the person that the test is not. I got a lot of people blaming Dolphins team doctors. There's an independent person on the sideline for the concussion stuff, for the reasons of that. Because in the day when a player got concussed and you knew he was concussed, I mean, Heinz Ward. I heard a story. Heinz Ward one time knew he got concussed and grabbed his ankle. And so when he came off, he told the trainer, my ankle, okay, you know, at that point, you didn't give concussion tests. You took the guy at his word, checked his ankle, said your ankle's fine, go back and play. Um, but today, the, the, the process is a little more stringent, but I, I do wonder if, if when Tua came off, he said, no, it's my back, it's my back, knowing full well, you know, maybe I can bluff my way through concussion protocol. I don't know the, the exact test that goes into it. I don't know how you bluff your way through it, but, you know, we've all had our bell rung at some point, and some bells rung are worse than others. I mean, I've, I had one when I was a kid, I fell 15 feet off of a, off of a landing area and was knocked out for like eight hours and, and, and was concussed. I've also had it where you've played a sport and you fall and you know, you kind of shake the cobwebs loose and you probably aren't all there for a little bit. And then you go back and play. Obviously something wasn't, wasn't right. And, and again, that hit wasn't so egregious that if there wasn't some pre-existing situation, I don't think the guy gets hurt. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no idea on that. But the one thing I do wonder about is everyone who sees Tua as a victim and is like, oh, you got to protect him from himself. These athletes, whatever, with the, the protocol that's in place needs to keep this from happening. I do, to some extent, have to wonder, isn't there any personal responsibility at all? Like he, Because he either li- outright lied to everyone after last week and said it was a back yeah. injury that caused him to stumble when... I mean, let's be honest. If you look at that replay and watch the way his teammates are kind of grabbing him by the arms and he looks weak in the knees, pretty hard to believe that that's a back situation that he's dealing with there. Listen, but- I, I heard I heard Ross Tucker on with Dan Dan Patrick who said, "Listen, I've had plenty of back. I've had back surgeries. My back still hurts to this day." He said, "Anytime I went down and my back would spasm up or something like that, I wasn't grabbing at my helmet. I was grabbing at my back." <laughs> sure, and you, but and you, and you didn't see Tua doing that. You saw Tua wobbling and grabbing his head. Right. Um, you know so. But again, it, there is an independent person on that sidelines. And so that's supposed to eliminate all of that. That's supposed to eliminate the player from himself. You know, you see plenty of times when a guy goes into that concussion or in the blue tent and into the concussion protocol, they take his helmet from him. They don't, they're not going to let him grab the helmet to try to get back on the field. They give it back to him if he's cleared. Um, so th- there is a process to that, but something wasn't right. And, and, and now you've really, if you're the Dolphins, you've opened yourself up to some real questions that, that, that have to come from this. And I agree with that. And they deserve those questions because like, like I said, at the end of the day, the reason that you should be super safe in these situations is because of exactly what happened. If he gets hit again, you're going to have fingers pointed at you. So they shouldn't have played him tonight, probably. And no, whatever, I, just be, just based off of what we saw last week, regardless of what any test says, you should be like, that doesn't look good. It's not going to look good if something happens tonight. Yeah, and, and if it was the back and the ankle, and that's what was listed all week, he didn't practice on the one. It wasn't obviously a big practice for any of these teams this week for either, either Bengals or them, but um, he was listed as questionable officially. I mean, I think probably the prudent thing would have been to, to hold him out, give him the extra time. Um, listen, maybe Teddy Bridgewater goes and wins a tough game on the road. Listen, this was going to be a tough game for them anyway. On the right. road. I'm not saying you tank a game. You're not tanking a game. Teddy Bridgewater's won games in this league. You start Teddy Bridgewater, you say, Tua, we're just, you know, just sit this one out. We need you for 17 games. We don't need you for one. It's going to be tough for us anyway. That's the way I would have approached it. I, I totally agree. But I also think, you know, I see so many people saying that Tua's a victim in this. And I just, 
I don't consider him a victim, but I but I do think athletes at that level are so competitive that um, it is hard for them to to not want to play. And I think in this this case, you you are you you help the player from himself. I 100% agree with that, but I also believe like we allow boxing to be a sport, we allow MMA to be a sport. So I mean, to some regard, as a society, we say you have the right to go out and make tons of money participating in these sports where you know that might be part of what happens and it sucks. And hopefully we can protect them as much as possible. But again, I go back to, okay, we saw what happened last week. He either outright lies to everyone, including the doctors and says it's a back injury when it's not, which is what I think happened. Or he told the truth and it really was a back injury. And then where does that leave us? Yeah. With him hurting his back, even worse, it looked like. Right. But I mean, from the standpoint of everyone saying that the Dolphins have to hold him out after that, I don't disagree with that necessarily. But I also don't really like I think Tua has a role in this. If he you know, he he either clearly lied or he told the truth. And then in that case, I don't know why he needed to be held out if there really was nothing wrong with his head from last week, which, again, I, I don't believe. But if, if he if he outright lied to everyone and said, it's my back, not my head, then I think he was kind of putting himself at risk. And to some extent. He knows what he's doing there. He may not be able to help himself from doing it, but but that's how we are. Yeah, but they still put him through the concussion protocol and cleared him. Yeah, and then that that like you have no answers for. And I have a lot of questions about the independent doctors who do all of that, yet they're still you know connected to an NFL team and on an NFL sideline. Uh, If you want to get super conspiracy theory, I can go down some wormholes on that, but I don't think that's uh, right for this podcast necessarily. Uh, one last uh, off the beaten path story here, Skinny. What did you make of the Dolphins walkthrough being filmed at UC yesterday and, and posted to social media? They were fully aware that that thing was going. Somebody was going. I mean, you're not going to go that. You're not going to go to that campus and not know that that students are walking through. Come on. Well, also, I mean, do you n- realize that these teams have every single piece of video broken down and like compartmentalized into, okay, if I want to see every time that Jalen Waddle has faced a certain type of coverage this year, I can just click one button and watch every single possession where that happened. I mean, they have such advanced scouting when it comes to video. They've seen every play that they're going to practice on that field. Like it's that video is rather worthless to these people. Yeah. yeah, And, and listen, they, they were also, I, I, Dan Horde, I think tweeted this out that I didn't get a chance to talk to Dan before the game tonight just to talk to him. But um, he said they were offered, Shakely, I know the bubble's not up, but it, it certainly adds another layer of, you know, people can't sit in a press box and film you if they want to film you, or there's less people walking through and you can kind of hide it a little bit more. They were given that opportunity. They chose not to because they I don't think they gave Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. No uh, one cares. And, and I, I did joke in the press box tonight, though, after the Dolphins had to take those two timeouts in the first quarter, um, after the second one, I said pretty loudly, but coach, they know our plays. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I, I do think it's great that the, the NFL is now investigating it. It's like, I mean, come on. Are we being serious right now? Like the, the NFL is so good at just being a soap opera and creating drama like this. You can't convince me that there's any type of real investigation going on. Listen, this is 100 percent just to get stories going and, and get clicks. And, and little Bill and I, the science guy coaching the uh, coaching the, 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 the Dolphins. So I do kind of enjoy I enjoy its press conferences. Um, you know, he, he's probably a little clever enough guy to go, let him film us. We're just going to mess with him today. We're not even doing anything. We're going we're to we're install these plays. We're going to show him these plays that we have nothing to do. And listen, it's probably, it was probably him trying to have play, play a game with it too. 
I actually saw a tweet and I have no idea if this is true because I didn't watch through all the videos, but I just saw a tweet of maybe an hour or so ago before we were filming this after the game ended that they had actually had 12 players in like on half of the plays that were on video. So I have no idea, no idea if that's true, but uh, if it is, that's very funny. It is. It's great. Yeah. All right, City. So uh, big game up next Baltimore next Sunday night. Ravens have a tough game this week at home against the Bills, too. So there's the potential there that you, know, you, you could be battling to, to gain some AFC North positioning there with that next game. It's huge. Yeah, I mean, and and I don't think it's a gimme that Cleveland goes to Atlanta and wins this week, to be honest Good point. with you. Um, you know, you could be looking up at the end of this week. Pittsburgh's got a winnable home game. You could be right back to all four AFC North teams, um, you know, being two and two. And after the kind of wobbly start you had, all right, now you're two and two and you haven't played the Ravens yet. You haven't play, played the Browns yet. Um, you still got another crack at the Steelers, which we don't think is, is a very good team. So you got another crack at them. You still have all the cards in front of you. That's, that's the part here. You're not... If this weekend shakes out the way it could, you're you're not all of a sudden chasing a lot now. Even even if it doesn't shake out, they have a chance to go to Baltimore, and and even if Baltimore wins this week, you get a chance to get them back to three and two while you go to three and two. So I mean, you're you're still in a in a good spot. Um, you know, you you blew a game you should have won on a freaky situation tonight. I thought was a fifty fifty game. They won another fifty fifty game. Maybe maybe lean more towards the Bengals. So I I listen. I they've kind of survived this first punch, and it was a big punch to go zero and two. And after the first quarter, they've gotten up and they're at least okay, and they're still in it. Yeah, I mean, let's be very honest. There two weeks ago, we were sitting here, and there was a legitimate chance that the season was headed towards being over yep. at this point. And instead, they bounced back. They found a way to win two games despite some of the same flaws we that have persisted through the first four weeks. And like you said, everything is still in front of them now. They, they've set themselves up to to stay alive and be in this thing. And and now we go from here with a, a team that made the Super Bowl last year. That's yeah. you know the upside's there. They've already proven it once, and most of those guys are back. And they, in theory, they've made some improvements too. So, and Rick, one of the things you talked about is is it, it it gets talked about, but I don't think it gets talked about in the right vein enough. And it's literally it is the, the turnover battle. Is this league is if you take care of the football and you have good enough players, and and they do. Um, and in this case, they have a good enough defense to go with it. You're going to win a lot of games that, that are even ugly games because, you know, Joe Burrow threw four interceptions in the first, you know, two and a half quarters of, of the season. You know how many he's thrown since? Zero. Zero. I mean, so taking care of the ball. And what are you starting to get the last couple of weeks? Some takeaways to go on top of it. And maybe that's what this team is. It is a team that just plays some defense. It's going to hit some big plays. It just isn't going to consistently drive the ball. They're not going to give it away. And you're going to look up. They're going to be plus two in the turnover margin. Their defense is going to play great. And their offense is going to hit two or three big plays that are enough to score. And they're going to win a what looks like an ugly 27 to 15 game like they did tonight. I can live with that. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. All right, good stuff. Appreciate it. We will be back on Thursday for our regular podcast this coming week. And uh, next Sunday night, we will have another Bengals postgame podcast. Thanks for being with us. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Bengals postgame podcast presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Morning.